Hey guys, it's Scott from fxmissions.com. Just a note, I've finished the trilogy of anthologies from the forefront, and all three books are currently available on Amazon. Welcome to From the Forefront, an FX Missions podcast with your host, Scott McClelland. Far and wide, and sometimes here at home, these bold and courageous souls that answer the call to missions have a steely metal that insists pioneering be part of their daily routine. Let's gather today and learn from those on the forefront. Here's Scott. Hi, Scott McClelland here with your FX Missions From the Forefront podcast. Thanks for being here. We're very thankful and somewhat anticipatory in rejoining here. Kyle Rice from our story last time, we talked into Kyle's kind of mission background, talked about some of the stuff the Lord used to prepare him to be sent, including giving him a softened heart. I wish I could say that that didn't apply to me too, but I may have had a very similar experience uh, to that, Kyle. Thanks for coming back. Kyle, welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely. And um, can I pray for a second? Please. Lord, I just pray that you give me the right words today. And thank you for this podcast. Pray that you bless Scott and this podcast and his ministry. Lord, uh, let me glorify you. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, thanks, Kyle. I'm very just kind of stoked to be, you know, uh, back right here on what I think is the precipice of of the story. We're leading up to your push off to Syria and some of the stuff you experienced there. I would speculate that super impactful, obviously, when you travel on missions or generally when you travel at all, you know, there's a huge sort of open sensory experience that you have in a new environment. And then you pile everything on top of that with the context and the people that you encountered there. What comes immediately to mind? If you want to talk a little bit about the actual push-off, certainly let's do that. But as quick as we can, we'll get to Syria itself. Okay. Yeah, about, I think it was October 2019. I was just kind of following the news over there in the Middle East and just kind of watching what was going on. I knew that the Free Burma Rangers were over there doing some stuff. And of course, when the situation kicked off in Syria, they tried to get there as soon as they could. For those that are just joining us there, they have a wartime uh, ministry. It's very unique. And their mission is just to go and give aid and help however they can and war zone areas. So it was definitely a war zone area over there. So leading up to the time I got there, they were doing medical evacs and helping to rescue people in danger in Northeast Syria there. And I was invited to go and I prayed about it, prayed about it with my family and just felt God said, go. So <laughs> like, okay, Lord, uh, wow. here we go. <laughs> That's cool that you mentioned praying about it with your family. Obviously, as you mentioned before, you got four kids, your wife, you guys, it's not like you have 
zero encumbrances or, you know, nothing of responsibility. You had a lot of responsibility, but still you felt like the Lord was saying, go ahead. Yeah, it was, um, we had a lot of different confirmations. We prayed for it few days or almost a week there and every mm. time we prayed we felt go and then when i try to get time off work and do all the logistics everything just worked out super smoothly i was really shocked <laughs> wow so i think you know god just kind of orchestrated all the events leading up to it and then also everything from the tickets i purchased to getting time off work to the gear that I had to pack and getting through all the different countries and different flights. It was just incredible to me how it all worked out. Man, you know, I've done a bit of international travel and, you know, I've gotten to some remote places, but I don't, I have never like said, okay, let's, let's pick out a war zone and go <laughs> visit or go get there and help or whatever. How do you get to Syria? I mean, assuming that that's something you can share, I'm, I'm guessing it is. But I don't guess you, you know, you don't get on the get on a plane and go to Assad City. You know, I'm, <laughs> you know, direct flight from Anchorage. It, what happened? How did you get there logistically? How did you? What was your? Yeah, route? there's no uh, there's no direct flights from Anchorage. So uh, <laughs> usually, what happens is you fly into Iraq. Mm. Kind of north, I guess that would be northwest Iraq, Erbil area. And you fly in there. Yeah. And then it's a long drive to Syria. The Kurd, the Kurd area. There. Yeah. So you guys, you, you were driving, you traveled over land from Iraq to Syria? Yes, sir. Yep. Mm. And um, a lot of prayer. <laughs> so... <laughs> And the thing is, um, you know, the Kurdish people really love anybody that's there to help them out. So, the, of course, they love FBR and try to help out as much as they can as far as um, getting into Syria and, and going places. You know, a lot of the time, as you're watching these videos and You've seen the uh, the FBR movie, I'm sure, and maybe mm -hmm. some of your listeners. What you don't see in there is a lot of the behind-the-scenes work. You know, there's a lot of logistics that go into a trip like that, of course. Mm. So there's a lot of preparation, packing vehicles, getting supplies, all that stuff. So, yeah, there's a lot of prayer involved. And then when you get to the border, sometimes you're not allowed to cross, or sometimes it's not easy, so... In our case, we got there, and the team that went in before us had a hard time getting over. And I believe they, they actually had to get out of the vehicles and backpack over at one point mm. and then prayed, and then they were allowed to go back and get the vehicles. If I'm not mistaken, that's how it worked out for them. Wow. When our team got there, we went in, and kind of the same thing happened to us. We were denied access at first. There was a lot of waiting around, and then we decided, okay, we'll ask again. And then they let us walk across with our bags, and it was a fair little walk. And then at the last minute, all of a sudden, you know, one of our team members uh, went and talked to them again, and 
<laughs> we prayed about it and they let us through with all of our vehicles. So, wow. It was amazing because, you know, in those kind of environments, you're just totally reliant on God. Hmm. I would guess that most of the supplies and, you know, key stuff important to your mission were in the vehicles. So that would probably have really diminished your what you were able to do if you couldn't get the vehicles across. Is is that right? Yeah, that's right. We had two two of our SUVs were completely full of medical supplies. So mm. it would have been Definitely a much bigger burden, of course. <laughs> then, of course, yeah. you would have had to find, you know, rides and all that. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, the, you had to cover quite a distance still at the border to get to your the area you'd be working in, and your would have totally changed the scope of what you're able to accomplish. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, thank God you got across, and that was just the beginning. <laughs> That's just the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> So we got across and it took us about a day and a half, I think, of traveling to get to our other team. So we, we went over there, met some of our Kurdish contacts over there, beautiful, amazing people. And they, of course, guided us to the, to the rest of the teammates. And when we got there, it was kind of a, a rest day for the rest of the team, but we got out, we met Dave and the rest of the crew and kind of did introductions and just a great group of guys, incredible people. And I will say, I have to, I did feel a little out of place because some of these guys have a lot of experience and, you know, maybe ex special forces guys or whatnot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Here I am, yeah. little old me from Alaska. But, uh, <laughs> I was feeling like uh, Gideon in the Bible at that moment, you know, but I just felt God saying, you know, go in your own strength, you know, where, mm. where you are weak, I am strong. I definitely have a lot of weaknesses. So that gives a lot of room for God to, <laughs> to act. <laughs> That's a, I get that. You paint a big target for the Lord. His strength is made perfect in weakness. And some of us have a lot to offer him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and weakness, at least that's often the way I feel. So once we got there, like I said, we did some introductions and just kind of hung out for a little bit. And it was kind of their first rest day. So mm -hmm. it was just kind of a, a few hours of just eating, hanging out, getting stuff ready, unpacking. They were filling us in on the situation. And we were in kind of this little abandoned house. And mm. as we as we were driving in there, it you know it looks a lot like you might expect from maybe videos or you know a lot of video from the FBR movies. Just a lot of war torn buildings, a lot of abandoned villages and towns. Mm. So the area we were in was you know kind of concrete little houses that had been abandoned where some of the families have fled. And before we got there. There had been multiple drone strikes, bombings. You know, immediately when we got there, we noticed the drones flying overhead. So that was kind of an eerie feeling. Mm. So we just kind of got our bearings and just kind of talked to the team and, and 
try to figure out what to expect. <laughs> I've yeah. never been to Syria, of course, so yeah, or the Middle East for that matter. Mm. But I remember them kind of telling us to be ready, you know, you never know what can happen. And sure enough, just a couple hours later, we get a call and one of the Kurdish friends of ours was shot and he was stuck behind enemy lines. And he had just enough battery on his cell phone to call and say help and kind of give an estimate of where he was at. And so we decided that we were going to go try to rescue him. So we split up into two different teams and I was kind of on the, the second team that, that stayed back to support the first team mm-hmm. and went out looking for him. So they went up about a kilometer in front of us and they were looking and looking, just couldn't find him for a while. And I remember them telling us before they left, you know, we might need you guys' help immediately. We'll call you if we do. And they started taking uh, gunfire pretty quickly. And so they called our team up to assist in any way we could. And so we did. <laughs> and mm-hmm. as soon as we got up there, we started taking fire. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so it was, man, I tell you what, it was a, a heck of a day one. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Yeah, I remember bullets whizzing by and I'm just, I was like, wow, here I am. I'm in Syria. Like, God, did you really call me here? (laughs) Wow. Wow. Yeah. That I'm, I'm dumbstruck a little. That's, uh, is it okay for you to say what part of the country you were in? I don't, obviously I don't know if that's okay or not, but why I ask, but you maybe generally, I mean, just talk as specifically as you feel comfortable. Yes. So we were in an area called Tel Tamir. It's in northeast Syria, near Kamishli. Okay. All right. Give me that first city again, Tel Tamir. Yes. Okay, cool. I want to just peg that in my head. I'll go back and look a little later to try to get my geographical bearings on it. It's yeah, it's basically that northeast corner of Syria area. And okay. There's actually quite a few videos on the Free Burma Ranger website. Mm-hmm. It was right around October twentieth of last year. Okay. Okay. I- I'll put some links on the the show notes and such that so that people can get to where you're talking about in terms of that video simply and easily. I'll try to do some, you know, connecting the dots on that. Yeah, so no big deal. Day one. Gunfire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's just the first few minutes. So we were out there and, you know, I just told a couple of the guys had a lot of experience, you know, and I have very, very minimal experience <laughs> with that. I've never been shot at before. Course, that was my first time to get shot at. I do have, you know, a little bit of training from my career and whatnot, but nothing like, nothing like that, that environment. But anyway... So, yeah, we were getting shot out there, and the first team came back, and we kind of leapfrogged back, and all the while, we're, we're taking on a lot of fire. <laughs> mm. And, yeah, it was nuts. So, wow. but I, what I remember is when we were running back and jumping into the vehicles as fast as we could possibly move, 
I just remember feeling this peace and I was just like, God, am I supposed to be here? <laughs> and I just remember hearing very clearly from God, you know, don't worry. I got you. Mm. And it was just kind of this weird peace. Like I, I definitely had felt some fear there, but I felt peace in the fear, if that makes sense. Wow. Yeah. So later on, we got we got back. We were unable to find the guy that we were trying to rescue at that time. We got back mm. and kind of regrouped. And I remember <laughs> we circle up and kind of pray and thank God for it was an absolute miracle because there's just bullets pinging all over us. None of us got hit. I don't believe any of the vehicles got hit either. So it mm. was an absolute miracle. I mean, there was machine gun fire all over and... You know, I, I believe it's only prayer and God that, that saved us from that particular time. So we get back wow. there and remember Dave looked at me and he's like, well, it's not like Alaska, is it, Kyle? <laughs> <laughs> I said, no, no, it's not. And he's like, you know, how are you doing? And I'm like, I'm good. You know, maybe I should be more afraid, but I'm, I'm not. I feel peace. And he said, well... Gunfight on your first day. Welcome to Syria. <laughs> wow. And we just kind of laughed. You I know? guess the poetry was, wow, that's how poetic. I mean, yeah, he, I know, right? Clearly, he's very experienced at that in a, in a variety of applications. But, hey, you signed up for the full program, right? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, there you, you were. Know, I knew the risks. I didn't know that it would happen day one, but... Um, mm -hmm. Definitely knew the risk after that. And yeah. so to kind of summarize the end of that story, we we end up going back to our house to regroup and we waited a little bit and then it got dark pretty fast. So decided to go back out again and try to find the guy. And they went back in the dark. And once again, I was on the team that kind of stayed back as kind of a support team. They went forward and... It took them many hours of walking around in, in the dark, <laughs> but they finally located the guy mm. and he was, uh, like I said, he was shot in the leg. The guy had crawled, I believe it was two kilometers or something. Mm. I don't know the wow. exact distance, but he crawled quite a ways through a lot of different enemy soldiers walking around and our team had quite the story to tell. They said that they saw many enemy soldiers walk right past them and not see them. So they were able to rescue this guy. It was just incredible. And when we got back, I remember we prayed about what to do. And we all felt this just weird feeling that we were supposed to leave now and, and leave fast. And we did that. And of course they brought the guy to the hospital was about uh, 45 minutes or so away mm -hmm. and we learned later on about a couple hours after we left our location that we were going to sleep at it had been attacked and Ooh. most of the people that were there were were killed i believe so mm. again another miracle just and that was day one mm. wow man Obviously, you know you need to stay frosty, right? I mean, after you get hear some ricocheting right away, <laughs> early day one, we hear bullets snapping by our ears. You know that that's that's 
I don't know. That's that to me is the next level. The second piece of what you're saying, you know, is equally important. You're being led. You're going to rescue someone who, who basically, you know, has no chance of survival without intervention from someone. You guys get him. You find him. You get him. You get him out. You do obviously some immediate medical attention, and then and then try to get him to more more of a place that you can take care of him. And then you feel this sense that you got to fold up and run. And then you hear that other stuff. Wow. Oh, it was, it's incredible. The thing I love about the whole group that was over there is that everything is bathed in prayer. And, you know, we really try to, to pray and listen to what God wants us to do. And obviously it's a lot easier to depend on God in those situations, of course, <laughs> I don't think I stopped praying the whole time I was there, but wow, for sure. Yeah. The, uh, so the medics, they were on the, uh, the first team, there was a couple guys from Burma. And so the beautiful thing about that is that one of our Burmese or not Burmese, excuse me, he's Karen from mm-hmm. Burma. One of our Karen medics, he's from, you know, a war torn area himself. Mm. And he was once helped by people. And so he wanted to go help other people, you know? And so here this Mm -hmm. guy is from Burma helping total strangers in Syria. And I tell you what, those, those guys, the the Karen guys are really skilled at everything. They might not have Mm a, you know, EMT certificate, but those are the EMTs you want with you. (laughs) Hmm. So wow. the, yeah, they patched the guy up on the way, and this happened several times. I don't even know the exact number of how many people were rescued while I was there, but we were able to to feed, you know, upwards of probably a thousand while I was there, rescue many mm. many people, and it was just, uh, you know, how do you put words to something like that? I'm not sure, but I remember seeing the some of the buildings and houses and just thinking about, you know, where I'm from, where we're from in America Mm. and meeting some of these families that have been through this stuff. And, you know, they're just people like us and it just really, man, it just really tugged at my heart for sure. Yeah. Wow. And then of course seeing, you know, if you can imagine coming home to your, your house right now and it's, bombed you know and this is what these people deal with all the time over there and so it was it was very eye-opening i don't have any personal experience but just imagining that with you it's a lot to take in just at the imaginative level you know in general we haven't seen something like that you know and our parents haven't seen something you know keep just keep going back generationally we have absolutely no grid for what it's like to have you know mechanized war being carried out on your doorstep and yeah it the humanity of the other people i think sometimes we get a detachment when we're seeing this stuff on video or hearing stories or whatever there's a dehumanizing effect that we can, I don't know, that we can participate in, I guess, where we don't think that's a person there, you know, or those are people there 
that God loves. Yeah, and I let me tell you, you know, when you meet the people in these areas, it becomes easy to want to be there and help them because the situations are they're just overwhelming. I mean, we were a, a team of about 15 or 16 people, I believe, and we were the only non-government workers over there as far as I'm aware. Most of the charitable organizations had fled or left. And oh, yeah. so, you know, the Free Burma Rangers are just an amazing group because they'll they'll go into these areas where nobody else will. And of course, mm-hmm. some might say, well, of course, it's dangerous, you know. But mm. at the same time, that's when the most help is sometimes needed. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it's just... Uh, <laughs> How do you put words to that? The situation is just so overwhelming, like I said. And it's the thing about the people over there that I really loved is there's um, there's already this common bond because the culture there is very much God-fearing. Mm-hmm. Of course, most people are, are Muslim, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know the, the stats, but I think 80% of Kurds are Muslim. And for those that don't know, the Kurds are, they want to be kind of like America where they have you know, freedom of religion. They have Muslims, Yazidis, Christians kind of living in the same country. And they Mm -hmm. believe in that. They believe in that freedom. And so that's a beautiful thing. That's not very common in that part of the world. Right. Yes. So they're great allies for us. And all the Muslim people that we talked to, of course, we had to speak a lot through interpreters. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But... The great thing about them is that they will pray. I mean, they'll pray with you. They'll let you talk about Jesus. They will gladly accept prayer. And that is so cool. I just feel like the chance to deliver the true gospel, it's like ripe for the taking over there. Mm. Totally. I had an experience with that in one of the bigger slums in Africa. One time we we were working through this slum with the small teams going from door to door, offering to pray for uh, the families that were living there in these, you know, we're talking about maybe near a million people, no, no running water, no electricity, you know, just all in, <laughs> you know, let's say 15 or 20 acres of land, million people in there, big, big knotted humanity, you could say. And we knocked on a, door that was people who met us at the door were Muslim. We told them what we were doing through, obviously through the translator. They invited us in. They said, yes, please. Thank you. Please do pray for us. I think it, we get the wrong impression sometimes of the way that could be. And to me that that changed my perception pretty significantly because we, we, I mean, we, I think we reached some doors of people who probably considered themselves Christians who wouldn't let us in. But, yeah, the, <laughs> the willingness, you know, to pray and, and to receive prayer and ministry. I mean, we, there's a lot, whole story there I won't go into, but, but it, was, it was instructive, as you're saying. Yeah, it's amazing. I've always been, I don't know, are you familiar with the term, the 1040 window? Yeah. Yeah, so I've always been... Ever since I was born again, I have always felt called to that area. And so obviously Syria is right in the heart of that 
But I just feel like there's so much opportunity in these areas, in some of these countries, and so few people there, you know, for the harvest. And it's sad. It's overwhelming. There's, a, there's so much. And I believe, so since I've been there, I believe there's, I don't know the current situation today, but I think there's almost a million refugees in this one little area. Hmm. And that's just, uh, when you think about the number, that's just, it's astounding. It's yeah, a lot of people. Staggering. Really, really is. And internally displaced people, there's a lot of that going on in the world. I think, like you're saying, you know, when you are in the context, uh, front and center, you, you have a direct experience with that, you get a different impression of the headlines or the sound bites or the news clips or whatever. And I think it hits you differently than what you might think it would. I think the compassion for those of us who are believers, the compassion of Christ inside of us is stirred up in a way that maybe we've never experienced before or didn't think was possible. And that I, I've been in some dicey situations, haven't been to Syria, nothing like what you're describing. Don't mean to say that. But still, you'd feel the compassion of the Lord just stir in your heart. And that is meaningful, is powerful and, and worthwhile. Yeah, it's, um, you know, you, you have kind of, I had some stereotypes, of course, when I went over there, just from seeing movies and, and newsreels. What they don't show you is the, you know, the innocent families that are caught in the middle, you know, the women, the children, the babies. Mm-hmm. You don't see that part usually a lot of the time in the movies. Right. You just kind of see ISIS running around and, <laughs> you know, that's, yes, they are there, but so are these beautiful people, these beautiful women yeah. and, and children. And children, and, families. Yeah. I saw, you know, I saw soccer moms up there helping in the fight. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, it was so eye opening to me because. I'm like, wow, you know, we live in such a, a blessed country. You know, America is truly, truly blessed and the greatest country, you know. But we take it for granted a lot, you know. And we could, uh, gosh, with some of the things happening now, you never know how long peace will last. Yeah. So I just remember thinking, watching these people, I just said, they're just like us. And mm -hmm. they're fighting for their survival. They don't know if they're going to live tomorrow or make it to dinner time. And I just thought, wow, what if I and my family had to live like this? It was just so impactful, you know? And I, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty tough to see, but it makes me so appreciative of what we have here. We are truly, truly blessed. And one of the things that impacted me was one of the, um, interpreters we had with us he was a muslim guy raised in iraq and he became a christian after working with fbr for for a little while mm -hmm. and he is not welcome to go back to his hometown because of the fact that he became a christian mm. his, his own family has basically said if you show up here again you're dead and I just thought, wow, what, <laughs> first of all, what amazing faith, you know, to follow 
Jesus that wholeheartedly that you're willing to give up your town and your family. But gosh, we have it so well here as Christians. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's very little contrast of the kind that you're describing there in what we experience in life in not, not just a war torn aspect, but the whole fact that if someone went to another faith, they're probably not under the threat of their life <laughs> if they go right. back home, you know, to Texas or wherever they're not Texas, they might be. No, I'm joking about that. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's, it's just a different, it's a completely different environment. One that we have a hard time even imagining, except that we go and have these kinds of experiences. We're probably about 15 20 minutes out from being finished here so i want to okay. i want to shift gears here a little because i know that when we first talked in our first episode together i remember that dave eubank the leader of fbr free burma rangers he prayed for you to soften your heart which was kind of like really key in the fact that you ended up in syria in the first place what is there to say about the way your heart was affected? Obviously, if your heart hadn't been softened, in all likelihood, you wouldn't have been in Syria. What happened as a result of that prayer? Did you connect anything back to that while you were there? And then, Oh, yeah. Yeah, we probably got some other things to just tie up toward the end here, but can you tell us okay. anything about oh, that? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so much. <laughs> Well, it was a simple prayer, but uh, yeah, God answered it. And I remember, I believe that was when we first met. Yeah. And I remember thinking, gosh, is my heart hardened? <laughs> you know, I just yeah. met this guy. He doesn't even right. know me. But over the course of the next few months, God really did show me that my heart was hardened. You know, working in the in the prisons here in my job, it's easy to get hard. and it's also a very sad thing. And I think yeah. a lot of our, you know, you see that today, you know, a lot of our law enforcement struggles with that. A lot of corrections and police officers, it's a hard environment to work in. And so mm. in that regard, it definitely relates to Syria because, you know, here we are in this part of the world where, yes, the Kurds accept us. They love us. They're so hospitable. But everybody else does not necessarily like us. You got ISIS, you got Assad's regime over there, and many other groups all kind of vying for power in the same area. Mm -hmm. Much like a prison, a much worse prison, <laughs> but, <laughs> but kind of the same principle as far as, you know, you have to learn to be tough, but not hard and learn to be led by love. And so when he prayed that prayer for me, it took, you know, <laughs> I'm not the fastest uh, guy on the block. You know, sometimes it takes me a while to come around, but God worked on my heart for a little while. And over the course of 2016, 17, God brought me to a place where I just didn't want to live for myself anymore. Mm. And I just wanted to be useful and I, I thought long and hard about what that means for me. Yeah. You know, I don't think we're all called to the same exact thing, but I just said, Lord, what do you want me to do? You know, I have these skills, I have this experience, and 
I'm not the greatest at any of them, but I'm more of a, you know, jack of all trades, master of none type of guy. <laughs> so yeah. little did I know I'd end up uh, over there, of course. <laughs> but right. I just, wow. I became open to that because of the love that I started. You know, I just prayed that, Lord, let me see people how you see them. And he really did that. You know, I started to pray for some of the prisoners at work. I started to have uh, meaningful conversations with with some of them. And God brought me to a place where, you know, some of these guys that do these horrific crimes, I was having a hard time. You know, I had to interact with these guys on a daily basis. And yeah, I'm just like, you know, part of me is like, I want justice or vengeance for what they've done. You know, they need to, they shouldn't be here. But right. on the other hand, uh, I'm like, you know, how does God see them? You know, that, mm. that was me at one point because I, you know, we're all sinners and yeah. Jesus forgave me and had grace and mercy in my life. And so, yeah, I just started to see people in that light. And I think that opened up, and paved the way for me to be open to go to some of these areas and do missions. I just wanted to add one thing. I remember when I first met the Eubank family, my wife introduced us and we were talking about it on the ride home from church. And I was just like, wow, they're amazing people. <laughs> I would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> like those guys are crazy. <laughs> Man. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes the Lord gets a kick out of some of the stuff that we say, I'm sure, because uh, knowing the end from the beginning, <laughs> like he does, right, right. <laughs> that's got to be entertaining. Wow, man. Well, let me just say thank you for your obedience. I want to emphasize that. And I, I think there's so many reasons that we can justify not getting to the place to where we're saying Lord, whatever you want, that's what I want. Circumstances in our lives, a lot of times the Lord's trying to create that kind of context of surrender. And not just the initial surrender, you know, that we all come to. Those of us who, as you mentioned, become born again. Those of us who, who surrender our lives to Jesus initially in the in the process that's often called being born again, you know, getting saved, as people call it. But after that initial surrender, you know, sometimes we can think that's it. You know, that's I, I surrendered my life to God. Now I'll just get on to whatever I want. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, right. <laughs> yeah. But circumstances in our lives and and in our environments and in our families and, and in our choices, you know, we get back to a place where we need to do a full surrender again and again, maybe and again, and maybe again. I don't know. It's happened to me more than a few times. But I think the Lord, in His grace, often puts us in situations where we have that opportunity highlighted to us in unavoidable ways. So I want to thank you for your surrender to the Lord in that. And clearly, it's a step, you know, what you went through going to Syria, getting involved in this humanitarian effort in a war zone. I'm guessing it was ISIS shooting at you, as you could always tell your grandkids. That's right, kids. <laughs> yeah. When I was a younger man, 
ISIS shot yes. at me. Remember, remember that? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> oh yes, many times, many many times too. Yeah. yeah, they wasted a lot of ammo trying to eliminate you, and I, I think we've got to take some gratification. Not everybody does this, but for me, I'm a little bit gratified that I'm on the enemy's radar. Most of us represent very little danger, if any, to the devil. And uh, <laughs> that's maybe doesn't sound very nice, but hey, <laughs> you know, try it on and see if it fits. I think we need to, not in some ambitious way or not in some misguided way, but in some true way, we need to represent danger to the enemy and his efforts. And I just think it's so awesome what the Eubank family and the group they've built, you know, those guys are, they've got a willingness that it cuts out all the fluff, right? I mean, it's not all this big talk, you know, these guys are in a war zone trying to bring aid to people who are dying, who are pinned down, who are bombed silly, you know, those of them who have survived. And I think a lot of times we, we internally are getting nervous. You know, I mean, somebody's hearing this right now. They're getting nervous. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we have to know that God values the individuals that you guys went to serve and help. And we've got to know that their, their life, that life is precious and valuable to God as yours is. If you can save one, it's worth it. And Totally. I don't know how much time we have, but there's, uh, like I said, there's so many amazing stories just of God's provision and what he did for us over there. But there was one beautiful moment. It was actually the same day that one of our medics died. Zhao saying, I don't know if you, you probably I heard saw about him in the FBR video. Uh, yeah, I heard yeah. about that. Amazing, amazing guy. But there was this beautiful moment before we went out to the front line that day. And this, this lady came up, you know, all these different women in their uh, jobs and their whole, you know, garment. She came up and she handed me this baby. <laughs> and I was like, what is she doing? <laughs> They're like, oh, she wants you to hold it. You know, I'm like, okay. You know, so I held her baby and she just wanted me to hold her baby for several minutes. And it was this cute kid and he was just laughing and giggling and just as joyful as can be. And I just thought, wow, what a gem, what a diamond in the rough, you know, Mm. there's such beauty in this place. You know, you look at it from the outside and it just looks war torn and and a place you, you should never go, but there's such beauty there at the same time. Absolutely. You know, I, I, that's cool that she, she wanted you to hold her baby. I'm sure that in your heart and in, and even in your, at the subconscious level, you're getting a feeling for the value of life there. You know, it's being reinforced to you. And that's maybe what she's trying to communicate. Basically, this is everything I have. I can imagine her saying, and she's wanting you to hold the child. I think we've got something to learn about the value of life and about the value of life that's in under threat. I think there's something there that we often are so insecure that we we tend to self-preserve so aggressively. I think that's why we harden our hearts is because we want to self-preserve to emphasize the value of our own, who we are and our own life and, and de-emphasize the value of other lives 
other people. And may the Lord open our hearts to get through and over that so that we can feel what he feels. That's my hope, and it's certainly my prayer. Kyle, anything else you want to mention as we're wrapping up here? I want to give folks a way to get in touch with you, or you know, we're going to put some links to the different video okay. and, and website service sources that we've mentioned. But if anybody wants to get in touch with you, I'd, I'd like to give them that chance. Anything else you want to mention as we're as we're wrapping up? Yeah, I would like to just say when I came back from Syria, I remember telling a, a lot of friends and family that did not quite understand what I was doing over there, why I went over there. I just said, hey, look, you know, we're in this beautiful country in a time of peace, but you never know. You never know what the future will bring. And you can see this year has definitely changed in our country. Mm. And, you know, being in a, in a place where there's just a total shutdown, total chaos, war zone, I hope we never end up there, but we're still a yeah. hundred times better off than they are. But, you know, I think the most important thing is just listening to God, what he wants us to do in the situation and being led by love and not fear. Mm. You just see a lot of fear out there right now. And I would just like to encourage people, whatever situation they're in, it's okay if you're fearful, just give that to God, give it to Jesus. Amen. Well, that's great encouragement. And it's something you had to take to heart yourself to even begin to entertain the idea that you were going to go to Syria. And then, of course, gunfire on the first day. Like you mentioned, also, FBR lost a medic during that rotation. Pray for his family and, and for those loved ones around him. But I appreciate your courage, man. And I, something tells me this is not going to be the last expression of your courage. I think this is a uh, preparation for you for some things the Lord's got still in, in the forecast. And I want to encourage you on that in every That's way That's the only possible. reason I'm alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Lord had more plans. Let's find out what those oh, are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Hey, I know that I know that I know now. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. He wants yeah. you alive. He'll keep you alive. <laughs> yeah. And the significance of your life shouldn't be minimized. I mean, what you're, what God wants to do in, through, and with you, it, it typically uh, escapes us. You know, we don't realize the, the magnitude and how it's important to God, you know, and how, if it's important to him, how important should it be to us? Man, I appreciate your obedience, and thanks again. We, I'll look forward to catching up with you downrange. I'm going to, as I mentioned, put some links in the podcast so folks can click through to or tap through to the resources you mentioned. If someone wanted to reach out to you, how would they find you or how would they reach you? Probably email is the, the best way right now. Okay. You just reach me at Kyle, that's K-Y-L-E dot mm -hmm. Rice, R-I-C-E dot Alaska mm -hmm. at gmail.com. Wow. You've got two dots in the, in the front of your email. <laughs> that's very unusual. I'm saying, but well, hey, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I wanted Alaska in there somehow. <laughs> hey, totally. And why not? I got to say that was a great idea. I've got to get back to Alaska as soon as I can. And I totally enjoyed 
meeting you guys and thank God for what he's doing in and through your lives and your families. Man, I appreciate your courage. Thanks for telling us some of your story. I'd like to get back to more of it. And with a warm cup of coffee around a fire, we could do that in person. I would, I would very much love to do that. Thank you. Uh, Absolutely. Also, Anytime. man, f- thanks for your obedience to the Lord. And thank God he brought you home safe to your family. Look forward to catching up with you downrange, Kyle. Thanks again for being on FX Missions from the Forefront Podcast. Thank you, and God bless you. And I uh, was very blessed by by you and the rest of the FX group that came up here. You guys were amazing. Wow. Thank you, man. We totally enjoyed it as well. Very, very much. And hopefully again soon, at least by next year. That's the plan, at least. Well, many blessings to you. And I am Scott McClellan for your FX Missions from the Forefront podcast. If you'd like to contact me or us, please do so at fxmissions.com. Until next time, have a good one. You've been listening to From the Forefront, hosted by FX Missions' Scott McClelland. If you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like more information on today's guest, please go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fxmissions. Please rate our show on iTunes or your favorite podcast provider. If you know someone who should be a guest on our podcast, we're currently reviewing candidates for upcoming episodes. Please submit their name, affiliation, and an essay of why their story needs to be told to info at fxmissions.com. And of course, you can always follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website at fxmissions.com. From Scott McClelland and the whole team here at FX Missions, thanks for listening. Till next time, have a great day.